So, Paul, we are recording on a certain holiday of the year. <laughs> this will be released in a week and a half. So okay. inside baseball for our audience. But I would love if I could dress up and go outside and people would put AirPods Pro <laughs> in my basket. That would be so great. That would be the best Halloween ever. Tell me about it. <laughs> I told Mrs. Dion that that's my Christmas present. If she wants ideas, that that's Mrs. The thing Dion, I, would... I like that. Thank you. <laughs> that would be a great thing to hand out for Halloween. Uh, yeah, I, that would get me back out there trick or treating. I'd put on a costume. I do. I'd dress up as anything for that. Well, maybe not anything. Well, mm. uh, what's your thoughts on the AirPods Pro? Well, I mean, I really don't know how they did this. It's an amazing piece of technology, and. I can't wait to really get a chance to test it out. I'm blown away by what I've read, what I've uh, heard about how this, like I said, this piece of technology is really changing possibly the game again, especially with, you know, the transparency mode and the noise cancellation that it has just for, you know, the updates. And then, of course, you have the form factor as well. That's changed. I heard the battery life is a lot better with the AirPod mm. Pros. They just put out the iFixit teardown. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah, see that. They have like five hours more battery life on them. Wow. So that seems to be a big improvement. And then I like the soft tips. It actually looks like they fit comfortably. I like that AirPods have so many benefits over standard yep. Bluetooth headphones. That I'm willing to deal with the hard plastic feel of them in my ears. I do not wear them when I work out. I have my cheapo Amazon ones that I use for that. But like as far as my go-to casual, what I have in my pants, because they're so darn small, it's like usually the AirPods because they're just so convenient. Like That's what makes them so great. So to put on top of that, like you said, the transparency mode, the nose cancellation, like the fact that they actually are probably decently comfortable. It's like, yeah, this is worth it. Whereas like the second gen ones that they came out last year or earlier this uh -huh. year, it yeah. was like, that's cool. But like, I don't even have a Qi charger anymore in my house. Like, yeah. Yeah. Are you thinking about getting these? Probably not right away. I'm not an early adopter. I like to see how the technology and or the software shakes out before I dive in. It's just my own I don't know, trust issues or so, whatever you want to call it. That's, that's how I've always done it. So I'll probably dive in maybe on the, I don't know, second generation of these. Oh, really? Okay. Or so. I just want to hear all the feedback about what isn't working and what's, yeah, yeah, it's just the way that I've always. Do you have AirPods right now? I do. Okay. I do. Second gen or first gen? Let's see. I got them last fall last so christmas probably, so probably first generation then. Yeah, yeah it might be first generation and i waited to get those and just to see how the reports would be you know when it came time to purchase them and then i was like all right i'm diving in but i don't know i'm i'm really interested to see and i don't know how you're gonna test it out like at a store like an apple store or whatever because you know you don't want to grab Somebody's gunky ears. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's just like, because I'd like to know. Right. Do they feel good? Try before I buy. One of those things. They but do have 15-day like return policy, so it's not like. That's very fair. You're right about yeah. that. 
But I'm really interested to hear that noise canceling slash transparency mode just to hear it, just to see how it sounds when like, you know, you're on the go and you want to, you know, do a quick podcast or whatever on the fly. Well, the thing is like transparency mode. I'm wondering if like this is a way to do augmented reality from like the audio perspective. I would have to say so. Yeah. Right? Like, like, a, like, like, um, audio translator, right? Like that would be awesome. Like there's a great example of like audio augmented reality. Before we keep going, I probably should introduce you. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> Paul, thank you for coming back on the show. Oh, not a problem. Thank you for having me, Leo. It's a pleasure. I love talking Apple. It's near and dear to my heart and uh, a company that I've stuck with, it seems like forever. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Just a little bit about myself. I'm a um, small business owner. I'm the owner and creative video strategist for Introduce Multimedia. It's based here in Lansing, Michigan. We've been in business for almost, well, just over 18 years. So I've seen a lot of the transformation of technology, both in the video and just regular technology world when it comes to Apple products. And we specialize in video storytelling specifically for nonprofit organizations. It's good to have you back on after almost six months. Yeah, six months-ish. Yeah. When you proposed to come back on the show, you specifically sounded pretty enthusiastic about the new iPhone 11. You know, you do video work a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm curious, you know, is that particularly what makes you so excited about the iPhone 11 or what other things really excite you about the new phone? It's a great question. First of all, I did get an iPhone 11. I didn't get an iPhone 11 Pro. There is some limit sometimes to my budget, but... <laughs> This has to be the first time that I, when I watched the keynote for this particular phone, this is the first time in a long time when I was like ready to jump out of my seat and buy this thing. Cause I was wow, like, really? okay. the visual capabilities of this phone and what it can do both front side and backside is just push the marker even further when it comes to video and photography. It's 4K, 60 frames per second. Is that right? Yes. And then they could also do, is it 1080p, 120 or 240 for like slow-mo? Or what is slow-mo exactly? Do you know the specs on that? Well, 60 frames per second plus starts at good slow-mo speed. Okay. And that's the thing. And having even the 4K video at 60 frames in your front-facing camera. Mm-hmm is absolutely outstanding because for the simple fact there's some cameras, regular cameras out there on the market that still can't do 4K60. I mean, it's going to change, obviously. Everybody's going to be scrambling. It's also nice because then, like, here's a little hang-up that I have. When I shoot video is that I have to have, like, either a second phone or a second display or shoot 4K60 frames per second because I cannot see the video as I'm recording. But if I have access to the front camera mm -hmm. for 4K, then I can actually see what is actually recording at the same time. That's a little benefit that I would have with just having access to 4K 60 frames per second on the front-facing camera. Oh, absolutely. And just the fact that it has these capabilities. And then, of course, what was also brought into the mix was the app called Filmic Pro. Which is an awesome app. Yeah, they haven't quite released the multicam function to the app just yet. 
in which you can use both cameras at the same time. Oh, wow. That's awesome. But not only that, you can also crop in. Right now, you can do it 1080. You can't do it 4K, but you can crop in on the fly. So you can change the angles of the cameras as well as use both cameras at the same time to create a multi-camera functionality. Could you use multiple phones for that? I don't think you can combine phones into one, like a studio. You would need to do that yourself in editing, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. But this is one thing that you can do. What do you typically record your video at? What do you use? We record our video at 4K 23.96. Okay, so standard NTSC. Yep. However, when we do slow-mo, we bump the 4K to 60 60 frames. There you go. Okay, that makes sense. When it comes to regular interview style stuff and just regular coverage stuff, we'll record in 4K 24. You know, and that's just become, well, at least the 24 frames per second is standard across the board at this point in time. Despite the attempts of movies like Gemini Man. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that was really, I don't want to get sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Not a good movie. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it seems like the whole frame rate thing, like people still are naturally inclined to like 24 frames per second, whether it's Hobbit or something else like that seems like psychologically what we're used to. Otherwise, it ends up looking like a cheap European soap opera, right? Yeah, it's just, well, the thing is, The Hobbit, I felt, did it okay at 120 frames per second. But Gemini Man, due to the fact that there was a lot of CG and a lot of... Right. Although, in The Hobbit, there's a lot of CG. Somehow, five, six years later... They didn't nail it like The Hobbit did. I think Hobbit was only like 48 frames per second. Oh, yeah. Whereas like Gemini, I think, was like 240 or 120, something like that. It was 120. It was at 120. Yeah. So So like fake stuff looks more fake. Anyway, we're going to go down a rabbit hole right there. Yes, yes. Thank you. So what else gets you excited about the new iPhone? I really like the fact that it's got these lenses that can allow you to widen your frame. Obviously, if you're shooting in 4K, you can crop into it. But not only that, but just think about in the photography end, the full gamut of what you're able to capture. And not only that, but you know what you can zoom in on. It just allows you so much more range when it comes to your visuals because it allows you to use so much information that's gathered by the phone that you sometimes don't even really need but it's there and you have the ability to use it it just really i think is just this 11 and 11 pro and of course the 11 pro max as well i don't know what the difference really is between the pro and the pro max but whatever it's the size i think that's it which is really interesting because in the old days like in the old days like three years ago (laughs) the plus size was always a superior camera like easily Whereas like now, like there isn't as much of a differentiation besides price and size between these maxes and the regular pros. So it's like I went with a 10s when I switch off of the my home button eight plus to the 10s last year. It was like, yeah, I actually would rather have a smaller phone because I can get all the screen I need on the smaller size. I'm a little bit tempted by a max because I, I could see as I'm getting older, I like having more screen. But like, I also like putting my phone in my pocket. So, you know, there's that too. So 
Yeah, cameras are pretty much on par. You get a max pretty much only if you want a bigger screen. Yep. So you're, you're talking ultra wide. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really captured my interest, the one thing that I found I was envious of Google and the Pixel in particular was the like night mode. That is something I'm really interested in because as a parent who shoots a ton of pictures and not ideal lighting, and now today, you know, this week they released 13.2, which has that mm-hmm. fusion mode as well. That's like the stuff that really interests me. I know people aren't crazy about portrait mode, but I use it quite a bit. I really like how it looks and I like the ability of like changing the bokeh, I believe mm-hmm. is what it's called. Yep. I really like having that ability, but night mode is really, really interesting to me. I'm actually, as much as you're making it tempting, I'm trying to pass this year. I'm getting a new phone and waiting until next year. I'm kind of like doing the opposite where it's like, you're like, I'll wait a generation or wait until a little bit more before I get the AirPod Pros. Like I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I want this technology to be mature enough and maybe wait till the iPhone 12 before I uh, really use these features. But yeah, like that night mode is really, really interesting to me because that's one of my biggest hangups taking photos is having that like ideal light and lighting to take pictures. I think this really helps in that regard. And I really like the portrait mode and how I use that quite a bit as well. And I really think it's just spectacular in that. But the other aspect that I didn't really get into just yet is the fact that the editing controls, both for photography and video within photos, yes, has been enhanced big time. Just the ability to rotate a video That alone is such a big deal to me because there are times where I'm taking a video and then I realize, oh, crap, I have it at the wrong angle. Then I turn it, but then it kept the video right at the wrong angle. So then Mm -hmm. I have to go in and like there was no way for me to rotate the video afterwards, whereas like now I could just do it right off my phone. Yep, absolutely. But I mean, it just for the simple fact that, you know, Apple's video development apps such as iMovie and Clips we're just superb already. But now you have the ability to go into photos, make some adjustments, and then throw those, throw those uh, finished clips into those, those apps and extend it even more. And so, I mean, I was blown away by iMovie when I first tested it out. I was like, holy cow, yeah. this is a legit app that you can get things done in. Yes, yeah. And I know that we'll get into it later on, but how... Just doing some quick stuff on an iPad or iPad Pro in iMovie is just really solid. Yeah, really solid. But And then you add in these abilities. It's just insane. Well, let's get into that. Like the other big feature with the iPad now with iOS 13 is now you actually have external storage, right? Yep. We've had the new iPad Pros with USB-C on them for about a year. And that was one of the biggest complaints was the lack of external storage. Yep. But now we actually have that. Have you actually tried editing like any major videos on the iPad pro? No, I have not. I don't have an iPad pro for the simple fact. If we do anything like that, it's really going to be because we have, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. So what else do you think is holding back the iPad? Like I could definitely see You need heavier hardware to render video and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But when you're out on the field, let's say you just want to like shoot something and put it out as quickly as possible. There are situations like that, right? What would be missing from an iPad to make it like ready for those kind of situations? Or what do you see as missing when it comes to the iPad in those situations? 
we talked a little bit about the external storage part of it. And I just think that due to the immense amount of heavy-duty files that need to be transferred back and forth, because most folks will not be using an iPad or even, you know, your iPhone for the professional-style video. Right, you'll record to an external drive from another camera, right. And some of the other aspect of it is, you you know, it it doesn't have the beefiness that heavy-duty video editing will need to finish a project. Is that a hardware or a software limitation? It's both. Okay. It's like the hardware is supposed to be pretty darn good, these new chips. Mm -hmm. So hardware-wise, what are you missing on an iPad to make it ready? I mean, if you look at it like you're trying to build it out similar to an iMac, because that would probably be the closest thing, or even just a laptop. It's just the acceleration, the hardware acceleration of the GPU, and does it have enough RAM? So... So you still think that like iPads aren't quite ready for like rendering larger videos, even though like these chips are pretty fast. Their chips are fast in the aspect of delivering video and watching video and so on and so forth to that extent. But when you're dealing with multiple clips or you're where you're, yeah. you know, multiple 4K clips, I mean, it's going to be a little bit different than the uh, iPhone, but I'm sure that they're probably going to develop the iPads having the same lens technology and and same type. But I don't know if that's going to be planned on. But at this point, you know, to be able to handle multiple effects, multiple animations, Mm, multiple mm -hmm. this and that at a 4K speed, the iPad Pro is not there. One of my biggest complaints that I've talked about quite a bit is like the lack of software and it seems like the app store hasn't gotten to a point where it seems like it's been more beneficial for developers to build solid software on the iPad. Like I know we're probably going to get a new version of Photoshop for the iPad and that'll be great. But like, when are we going to see more? Yeah, we got Filmic Pro and a few other apps, but when are we going to see like Premiere be on the iPad as well? Or like we have iMovie, but where's like Final Cut Pro? Even as like mm-hmm. a developer, like Xcode's not on the iPad for obvious reasons. And it seems like we're kind of getting there, but it's just, it's, it seems like it's going to take a while. And like also the App Store just has this weird expectation of cheap apps that aren't really like heavy duty for more like pro needs. Right. I think when it comes to video and video editing, I mean, Filmic Pro is obviously the top of the top when it comes to capturing. Capturing, yeah. Yeah. And then, as for editing, I mean, you have streamlined options. iMovie, you have Adobe Rush. That's it. Yeah, that's the one they've been talking about quite a bit. Which I've tested out, and it's pretty good. I wouldn't say it's as good as iMovie when it okay. comes to editing on a mobile device. But that's the thing. Adobe Rush and iMovie are very comparable when you go from desktop to mobile. So that's a really good shift. Because you can just share the projects to, you know, your phone slash iPad. And it's, I wouldn't say seamless, but it's a pretty good handoff. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I think we're still quite a ways away before we can really combine the mobile devices to be fully functioning, hardware-ready video editing machines. So... As far as like desktops and laptops, what do you use right now for your company? 
when it comes to like video editing and rendering and things like that? We have three iMacs. One of them is 5K Retina, and then we have a couple other ones that are just a little level below. I have a MacBook that does minor editing and touch-ups here or there. That's what we use here at this point. We haven't dove into the iPad Pro yet, but of course, it's just been, I wouldn't say just been released, but they haven't done another update to that. And so we're just looking at how that's going to fit into our workflow a little better. But at the same time, you know, once another generation comes out, that means the previous generation is going to be a little bit more price reduced. So it's more of a feel towards where we're going to go. I've been editing on an iMac for almost since the beginning of the iMac. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been a strong addition and I've never had any issues with speed, functionality, anything like that. So I don't know. I would probably say that we are not going to be a production house that uses a, a Mac Pro. I just don't see the cost benefit of getting a Mac Pro versus getting an iMac Pro due to all the functionality that an iMac Pro has. So you're going to stick with iMacs as opposed to Mac Pro? Because because you get a screen and a CPU. And <laughs> How about the iMac Pro? The Mac Pro is not something what we're looking at. The iMac Pro is exactly the type of machine we'll probably move to. Yeah, because I looked this year at upgrading my iMac, and I ended up just going with a regular iMac mm-hmm. and upgrading the specs. Yep. I looked at the benefit of a iMac Pro, mm-hmm. and I do like some video editing, but nowhere near enough to justify going with the iMac Pro. And like it's two thousand dollars more. So yes, I ended up sticking with an iMac, and then I put like one hundred twenty-eight gigs of memory in it and i was like this is good enough like (laughs) even if i do video editing like i don't feel like it's a big restriction right and then with the development like the imac is fine so it didn't seem it was worthwhile for me to upgrade to an imac pro right seems like the mac pro that's much more for like major studios big companies and stuff like that (laughs) more than it is anything else it's an impressive piece of hardware however we are not quite at that level to justify the purchase of that because it is expensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as far as like laptops, have you looked at the new MacBook Pro right now? The MacBook Pro, I have not. I mean, I, I was listening to some folks talk about what it's all about. But I mean, you know, to be honest, it's like laptops, I'm not really dove into very much. I mean, I have... My laptop, you know, which is used for on the go, we don't really use it for heavy duty video editing or anything like that at our place. And so, I mean, if I was going to replace my laptop, I would just probably move to iPad Pro for administrative and, you know, internet type stuff, you know, doing this stuff like this. That's exactly what I've done. Because when the iPad Pro came out, I was just like, oops, that will be my replacement for this laptop because my laptop is 2015, I think, Mm -hmm. 2015 MacBook. Yeah, that's what I've got too. I had the 2015 MacBook for the simple fact that it had an... A working keyboard? Had the USB. (laughs) Yeah. A working keyboard, number one. (laughs) You know, it it had all the ports I needed 
including an HDMI. Right. I needed an HDMI. I'm in the same boat. Like I didn't want to move to Dongle Town this year and deal exactly. with keyboard issues. I put in a new hard drive. I basically that's all I did because I was kept running out of space. I was able to put in a two terabyte hard drive. Right. I'm happy with that. And I'm in the same boat where it's like for administrative stuff, I pretty much just use the iPad Pro for that. And that works fantastically. Like, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Like I hate doing heavy duty work on the laptop. Like it just seems like such a waste. Yep. And they're just never going to be anywhere near as fast or convenient as like what I can get off of a desktop like my iMac. I agree. It's just like, yeah. Like, so I'm looking at like the new MacBook Pro. Well, the other thing too is like we could see a potential shift to, from like Intel to ARM chips, right? So that's another oh, thing absolutely. where it's like, why am I going to get a new laptop when like the chips are going to change and everything's going to be changed underneath them? Right. To where like as a developer, especially, I have to like make sure compatibility is like always there. So yeah, that's the other thing as well. I agree with that. I mean, because we shouldn't even say potential is going to happen. Right. Apple's going to switch all that stuff to ARM because it's their own chip, you know, and they finally got it to a point where they can start spreading it out amongst all, you know, the technology that they have. So now that we're talking about MacBooks and iMacs, I wanted to jump into Catalina, particularly like as a software developer, it's been a real challenge this year. I switched to Catalina beta like early on because of all the big major changes for developers when it came to Catalina. I'm talking like Swift UI and Catalyst and things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm curious from your perspective, how has the transition been? Well, first of all, have you transitioned to Catalina and how has that transition been for you? Absolutely not. I have not transitioned at all. And I don't know why you would. No, I mean, this is another aspect of how I've dealt with things, I will not transfer to a new operating system until I know that 95% of the bugs have been caught. Yeah, that's usually my mode of operation if it wasn't for all the developer stuff going on. Right. I mean, you have a, a key stake in understanding how the development tools are going to do what they have to do. And so that's reasonable. But after I was listening to a whole podcast about Catalina, I came into the office. I'm like, all right, everybody, make sure that you do not have automatic updating on and we will not be transitioning to Catalina because I'm hearing really, really bad things at this point in time. A lot of the times there's a seamless transition like Sierra to High Sierra was okay you know even to mojave it was okay but we didn't do it right away because that's our standard now or i shouldn't say now it's always been my standard not to update immediately so yes with the new operating systems they sit there and they push they give you these notifications and push it and if you don't go into system preferences and take that out of do not update automatically right and it could bring you a world of hurt because then you got to downgrade it to the previous path and that's just time you can't get back. And so yeah. if you just, you know, head it off at the pass prior and understand, well, not only that, but we use a ton of plugins, a ton of different software systems, all the stuff that, you know, if it's not compatible right away, a lot of that stuff gets broken and it's like, okay, so we actually never do auto updates for the simple fact that we can have those issues. And the last thing we want 
is to have something that we've been using that breaks in the middle of a project and we have to reverse engineer on our dime, right. the client's dime on our dime to get that back. And so, yeah, I don't, this has been, so like, it seems like high Sierra and Mojave were more like patches and fixes, whereas this mm-hmm. seemed like a big feature push, which we haven't had for a while, at least since Sierra. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was totally vulnerable to all sorts of issues, Yeah, which goes into like iOS 13 is the same idea where like iOS 11 and iOS 12 were much more like bug fixes. iOS 12 especially was like fantastic as far as that transition. But like iOS 13 is just like, man, you could tell there were issues because when they released iOS 13.0, they released iOS 13.1 within a week. And we're only a month after the September event and they've just released iOS 13.2. There's been some like serious issues with iOS 13 as well. What what have you noticed? With iOS 13, I'm a little more lenient on the iOS end of it than I am the actual Mac OS end of it. What mail application do you use? I use mail. Okay, because I know that there were issues with mail and the iCloud stuff as well. There were issues with that and a few other things about iOS 13 that like really pushed the envelope as far as like people should seriously wait until 13.2 before they upgrade to 13 at all. Wow. And it seemed like that was the case. And again, like I have Apple Watch as well. So like I had to upgrade that to take advantage of a lot of the new features for developers. So like all my production stuff was in beta over the summer which is super risky and I don't recommend it, but like, otherwise I, I couldn't really like test a lot of the new APIs and a lot of the new changes that had come out like Swift UI and independent watch apps and things like that without upgrading all my software essentially. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but like I said, I haven't really noticed. So you're on 13.1 with your iPhone 11 or 13.2? I think I'm on 13.2. Okay. Pretty sure. But I am not sure offhand. Okay. So I'm pretty sure I'm at the latest one. Yeah, that just came out this week. So hopefully, like, I hope that 13.2 is pretty solid because it seems like there have been issues. When it comes to that, what else did you want to talk about? Well, right now, I think that the biggest thing is they've updated Final Cut Pro heavily. It's so you have to have Mojave now for the latest. Okay. So they're trying to push it, obviously. Well, because what they've done with Catalina is full 64-bit system. That's right. Yes. And so... Have you had issues with that as far as like any 32-bit software? I don't know. Oh, because you're not on Catalina. There you go. Okay. Yeah, we're not on Catalina and it may take a while. I know that... We use a lot of Adobe software, and that will update through the cloud, so I'm not worried about that as much. But that's the thing. Like I mentioned before, that's why I do not have automatic updates on. I know there's a way to test your system to see what 32-bit apps you're still running. Right. So like that almost seems worthwhile to check that before you update to Catalina. But yeah, that's another big thing I totally forgot about was the 32-bit app stuff. Yes, exactly. And, you know, those are just one of the couple of things to think about. Yeah, I recently had a app project where it was five years old and I essentially set up a virtual machine with High Sierra because there was like no way for me to open the app project up without getting High Sierra running. That's crazy. Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, 
it really brings me back to some of the old APIs and stuff, looking at the code and, and just getting High Sierra up and running. I mean, I'm glad I did. It was pretty easy, but yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? I don't think so. I think we've pretty much hit what we needed to hit. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I enjoy this conversation. I feel like we get a lot of developers on the podcast, and it's good, good. to have an actual business owner who runs Apple stuff and get their perspective. And video is always like one of the coolest things about Apple hardware and software. So I'm really glad we had you on. Yeah, this has been fun. I enjoy talking about it. Like I said, I've been a business owner for a while and I've used Apple hardware and software for a long, long time. Where can people find you online, Paul? They can always find me on my website, which is unoduce.com. U-N-O-D-E-U-C-E.com. Cool. And I'll put that in the notes. Folks can find me, Leo, on Twitter, Leo G. Dion, and my company, brightdigit.com online. My company's on Twitter, brightdigit, at brightdigit. And we're on Instagram as well. We are glad to have you join us for this episode and we'll be talking to you later. Sounds good. Thank you, Leo. Thank you, Paul. Bye-bye. Yep, bye.